Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Heavy Metal Strength Coach podcast. It has been a while since I have recorded one of these because I am a fundamentally bad person. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode, though, because I am joined by my now head therapist, Mr. Connor Scholes. Connor, how are you doing, my friend? Not too bad, not too bad. A long time coming. Yeah, uh, so um, I wanted to take on Connor because he is an excellent therapist at Graft House. He is amazing with his clients and we've got wonderful things to say about him. They certainly don't call him adequate like my clients call me. So it was definitely a natural progression to get him involved with the heavy metal community. So Connor, basically I wanted to go right back to basics when we're talking about sports therapy and kind of try and define what sports therapy actually is and then we'll kind of go from there so just to put you on the spot straight away what is sports therapy the thing i have to explain to people can i say they go oh so you're a physio no i'm not a physio little injuries and niggles you can work anything from deep tissue massage all the way up to knee reconstruction uh, knee reconstruction like rehab programs very similar to a physiotherapist, apart from I won't help an old lady who's fallen over learn to walk again. It's essentially how I normally term it with people. Uh, I work with people who are active, who are wanting to remain active and get back to like a high level of performance in whatever area, whether that is just going to the gym or competing for their nat- uh, for their, their country on a national level. So yeah, I work with a wide variety of people. And uh, yeah, that's essentially sports therapy is active people wanting to remain active and uh, do it in the best possible way. What made you decide that you wanted to be a sports therapist? Uh, Because as a sports person, I spent a lot of time with sports therapists due to my numerous injuries and lack of ability to stay injury free. It was kind of one of those where I met a lot of really good people doing it. And they were really, like, the work they did was incredible. And it's kind of one of those things that, like, piqued my interest from a young age. I mean, when I was younger, I was I was going to be a professional rugby league player, like everyone else from my hometown. Um, and it was my mum who was very much under the impression that I wasn't going to make it. And that I needed to have something to fall back on. And I, I just, I'd had such good... I'd, that's such an interesting, like my granddad was a doctor, so I'd always had like this interest in in the human body and, and all that all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of a combination of all those things where I was like, if there's gonna be something else I'm doing, like I wanna be in 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 and around sport and I wanna be helping people remain there and do it in the best way. And from from there, like one thing led to another. I ended up going to university, spent four years doing sports therapy, and here we are. So essentially, I could have been a professional rugby player or a sports therapist. Lucky okay. for you guys um, that you don't see me playing rugby anymore. So when it came to the injuries that you went through, do you feel they made you a better therapist? So um, I've had therapists on here before, and they've talked about whether. Um, injuries make them a better coach on um, therapist or not uh, and the, ther- the therapist that I spoke to had never really had a bad injury but he's well known as a um, endurance therapist so I'm interested to hear your take on this question. I Honestly I think a therapist that's never had any injuries 
it's probably a good thing when it comes to diagnosing people because like I find like sometimes I'll, I'll speak to people and and they'll talk through symptoms that I've probably experienced myself and I get like this confirmation bias of like oh I know what that is I've been through this and I think that's a terrifying thing for people to hear when they go and see a therapist is someone that yeah. just sits there and goes oh yeah I've been through this I know what it is where like nine times like what, what are the chances that you're going to experience exactly the same thing that they're going through but I do think when it comes to going through the process of kind of rehabbing it it is a benefit to have been through that side of it like the mental and physical strain it can take on people when things maybe don't go their way like throughout the process so I think it, it does have pros and cons but I think there are there are big areas where it can be a, of a detriment to kind of your actual clinical reasoning and going through the right processes you can be like oh I know exactly what that is like I find it sometimes when I see one patient to the next they'll come in with similar symptoms and automatically you want to be like oh this is patella tendonitis I know what this is I've just spoken to someone about it whereas realistically it's probably not so going through the process of rehab and and helping people recover I think it is beneficial to have had injuries of a similar similar type but in the initial kind of treating and diagnosing uh, in the initial diagnosing phase I think it is an unhelpful tool as well okay um what injuries have you been through um okay so just general like ligament injuries uh like strains and sprain like rolling your ankles and stuff like that i think they're quite quite common in in the majority of sports um i have torn my mcl and acl in my knees so i have minimal ligaments currently but that is a, a whole crazy topic of why i didn't get it repaired um, which is probably like a six hour podcast <laughs> I, i'm i'm kind of curious about that long story so I partially tore my MCL uh, at university playing American football. And then I, in my second or third year, uh, I tore my ACL. But at the time I was starting to do my dissertation proposal on ACL reconstructions and like the, accept, the success and fail rate of different reconstructions. One of my best friends at the time had already had two ACL reconstructions in like two and a half years. And I just, I made the decision that like, I didn't want to put myself through that process while I was at uni. I was going to stop playing sport anyway. And I knew that there were, there were ways and means that I could stay active to a point without an ACL. Like I could, I could pre like proactively like rehab myself to a point where I could, I could function day to day and I'd not, have no issues and didn't want to put myself through that strain of a big reconstruction potentially then going straight back to sport because that's what I would have done what I would have done because I was an idiot and then potentially doing it again and then kind of eating into that like day to day I don't really have any issues with my knee like I do the stuff I need to do I realize very quickly if I've not been doing it enough because my knee will like give way or but yeah basically in doing like I think at the time knowledge was a, a big or what's the right word knowledge wasn't power in this in this kind of instance it was more of a deterrent to me actually getting a reconstruction because of all the stuff i'd read and all the the articles i was reading at the time um so i held off getting the reconstruction and then before i knew it like three four years had gone by i started working full time and i was like i can't take this time off now so like it's not that i would ever say to someone don't get a re an acl reconstruction if you do happen to have that injury 
because I work with a lot of people that have been through that kind of process now as well. But it was just for me at the time, decisions were made and you have to live by your decisions. <laughs> and now there is no way I could take that period of time off because a therapist that's lying down is not a very helpful therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think at, at, at the time when I did my, when I initially did it, I was in a brace and I was on, I was doing a placement with the Leeds Rhinos. And I used to get there at six o'clock in the morning to do like the physio and stuff. And it was just like you work and some mobilization so I could do it. And I have never walked into a room to like try and help people, I assume. Like they were just there to get a massage because they were sore. And there was this Aussie guy who played for him who just couldn't get his head around the fact that I was a therapist and I was injured. Like, and like, if it wasn't a podcast, I'd try and do an impression, but then you'll clip it and I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so knee, knee injuries, uh, I dislocated my wrist, had a blowout orbital fracture of my left eye, which stopped me playing rugby. Never broke my nose, which was always a, a positive. Broke a couple of fingers. But yeah, some, some good ones in there. What do you think, uh, which injury do you think you learned the most from? My eye, like my, the blowout fracture of my, le- of my left eye. So that's what stopped me playing rugby, which was like a massive turning point in my life. And for, I want to say four, four months, I didn't really leave the house just because my eyes so are like, eyes are, eyes are a difficult one where if you, if you damage your eye or damage the muscles, they kind of work as like a counter pulley. So like if you tear one side, which is what I did, you, I couldn't move my eye. So it was just, my left eye was just fixed in this position. So it was always staring forwards, whereas my other eye would move around, which is quite difficult for people to see. And then there was quite a few issues I had with that were just like, I knew it was visually not the nicest thing for other people. And it was, I was very conscious that, that everyone thought there was something weird going on in my eye. And just kind of going through all that process and having like the operation on it was a, a bit of like, a, you learn more about yourself and that kind of issue. It was the, like the biggest thing I'd have to deal with in my life young 17 years as a as a human (laughs) i found that's 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 really really interesting and when you were did you see any sports therapists as you were receiving treatment for any of these injuries uh yeah so like so when i did uh my knee the first time i saw i saw someone who was at the time i think they they worked mainly in rugby and i was was playing american football at the time and it was really eye-opening in how they talked about like movement and and the areas kind of that you could you could work on on muscle strength say in it through your hamstrings and your quads and that would benefit the longer term of kind of your overall health not just the rehab um, and it wasn't just this like tunnel vision we just need to fix your knee it was we need to give you a whole like your whole body this new overhaul so that then if you do get any injuries in the future you're in a better position to be able to kind of bounce back so they kind of just didn't focus on the issue I had they were looking at like the longer term which is something that I found really kind of I bought into a lot more I think because they weren't just there to kind of like patch me up and send me on they wanted to make sure going forwards I was in the best position I could be in I guess coming from that experience um, of having that treatment all those injuries and the whole qualifying process and that so when you're a pt a lot of pts will talk about when they do the qualification and they get a piece of paper and then once they start working 
they'll learn how to be a personal trainer. So did you find that you had a similar thing when you qualified as a therapist? Oh. Or do you think those experiences um, allowed you to hit the ground running if it wasn't for your knee? My first year of uni was probably the best because you had to learn everything about the human body. So bones, muscles, how they move, all that kind of stuff. And you learn like your basic treatments. And then from that, there are certain things you do that maybe don't completely relate to being a sports therapist. Your placement is, is where you learn everything. So you have to do a stupid amount of placement hours. But yeah, basically when you graduate, they just turn around and they're like, yeah, good luck. Go start your own business. Off you go. <laughs> so which is terrifying. As like a 22-year-old that doesn't know how to speak to people, has loads of debt, no real life experience. Like, how am I supposed to go and start my own business where people have to, not only do I have to speak to them, but whilst maintaining small talk, I have to diagnose what's going on. So yeah, it was a lot of, you just have to put in the groundwork and kind of grind away in the background until you're at a stage where you don't feel like a fraud. <laughs> Can you remember at what point you started to believe that you could do it forever? I'm still waiting on that point, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> hoping, hoping one day soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think gradually um, over time we'll um, be able to facilitate that process, but we will see. So when people decide that they're going to um, a therapist is that normally a stage that you would agree with or do you think people should come to a therapist a little bit sooner and um, so like do people often come to you when they're already in too much pain do you think they should come to you at a point where and um, they could have caught an injury earlier or anything like that I'm not sure I was very clear on that question but we'll see what you come up with <laughs> so thank you I'd say first time seeing a sports therapist it's never the right time. It's always too late, right? Like everyone's going to come as a reactive measure. Like they're reacting to either their training's not going the right way, they're feeling some discomfort or something doesn't feel quite right. So they're reacting to it by coming to see someone, which is fine. I think that's, that's, a, that's a human nature, okay? But once you've been and been treated by a sports therapist, from then on, I kind of think people are, are way more active about their recovery as opposed to reactive in the first place where they'll come because I want to make sure that I don't experience issues going forwards. There's a lot of people, especially in our environment, like in the gym, that people will come to me like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis because they had an issue initially that I treated and now they want to maintain a certain level of, of comfort in their body that it doesn't lead to any long-term injuries. Like it's cheaper to come and see me like once every two weeks and just get like a little MOT. We can run through, like do some deep tissue release, make sure you feel good, as opposed to ringing me on a Sunday night, telling me your back is in, is in extreme pain, you can't walk, and me having to like squeeze you in and book you in consistently for that week just to make sure you can kind of go to work. So I think it is more reactive initially, but again, like that's completely fine. Like, but once you understand kind of what, what it can be like and where you're, where you're at with it, I think people do become more active and, and like featuring it more in their lives now. I think sports therapy and recovery and how people look at that aspect of training has become massive over the last like three, three four years. 
whereas opposed to before it was just like a like a treat you know i'll go see a therapist i get a massage it's nice it make me feel good whereas now people want to kind of dial into every little detail that's going to help their training so it's nice to see people taking it more seriously as opposed to just thinking if i buy a protein shake when i leave the gym that's everything and i'll be fine something that i worry about with therapy personal training things like that is fostering dependency rather than fostering autonomy so how do you see someone regularly um, on a sports therapy basis without fostering dependence on you uh, and how is that fostering autonomy what is it that you would give that person that's going to give them more tools to handle the gym in general even though they can still see you every two weeks or every week or or every month how do they become more dependent even though they're seeing you more so I think a lot of it is just it's the education that comes with it like I'm going to explain to you why this is an issue like why you're feeling this way why you're struggling with certain movements because for example a muscle is too tight or you've been working something maybe not in in the most optimal way and then I, I'm going to explain that to you hopefully the first time in a way that you completely understand like I'm not going to throw crazy words at you I'm not going to try and babble like baffle you with all these terms that you don't understand like i'm going to speak to you like a person i'm going to give you as much information as i can so that when you leave you understand why you're feeling this way and then with that i'm going to give you some little things that i i recommend you do on a on a daily or weekly basis to kind of correct this because my aim is not to see you all the time like my aim is to get you fixed and then send you off out there. And then next time you come across someone that's having an issue, you're gonna be like, oh, I know this guy who, who helped me loads. Like I have people that come and see me every week and they'll come in and I'm like, you don't need to keep coming to see me. But they do it because they know they're not gonna do the exercises I've given them and they're just gonna be lazy about it. And that's fine too. Like people, people have busy lives, but my thing is like, I wanna help you. I wanna educate you so that it doesn't happen again. And then it's it builds that level of trust. like. When people come in and see me, I don't try and sell them like a six week plan or oh, we'll do eight sessions and by then you'll be done because that's not always the case. Like, I don't know how you're gonna to react to this one session and this treatment that we do now, Never mind in four weeks time. Like I'm gonna be honest, we're gonna do a session, two, three days later, I'm gonna check in with you. Then you're gonna tell me how you're feeling and we're gonna take it from there. Like I'm not gonna put you in the spot like put you on the spot when after I've seen you and be like, oh, let's book another session in next week. Like, I just want to have an open dialogue with you. I want to give you my best professional opinion. And then from there, we can work together. Or if you don't want to, you don't have to. Like, I just want to be that person that you feel you can come to when you're having an issue. And we can have an open and honest conversation about what I think you need to do and what you should do going forwards. Will every injury get a diagnosis no because i am not superman and <laughs> i i have ways and means of trying trying to get the diagnosis and, and figure out what what the issue is but i've been to see therapists before that have told me something and then a couple of weeks later i'll go and see someone else and they'll tell me a completely different thing and i think there's nothing more frustrating than multiple wrong or incorrect diagnosis and there's quite a lot of like terms that you could like hide things under. For example, if you come in with shoulder pain and I say, oh, it's sh sh you, got sh you got a shoulder impingement, that could mean a number of different things. Or you have an issues with the rotator cuff. Like 
there's so many different like parts of that but it doesn't help anyone but the thing that like i'm more than i guess confident is it confidence is not the right word like i'm not i don't have too much of an ego to turn around and say this is beyond my like skill set and here's someone that is more skilled than me in that area and i suggest that you go and speak to them like there's a couple of people in leads that if I'm struggling or I'm not sure, I'll either speak to them or I'll send the person on and refer them to them because all I want from the people I see is for them to get better. Thanks. Yeah, that, that was one of the reasons why um, I wanted to get you involved was actually you referring a client to someone other than you. So um, the queen of our hearts, um, Talia, um, she came to you with a, a bad back injury or what seemed like a bad back injury and you knew that you didn't know what that was and you sent her away from you and I think a lot of therapists would maybe promise that they could diagnose it and treat it and things like that but you were able to actually take that step back and were able to say actually I think you should see um, someone else a specialist and I think that's a really important skill to possess so how did you go about building um, a network of people to refer to? Uh, I think it's just from being in and around the industry. Like I'm sure there's people out there that are in the Leeds area that are really specialized in certain things that I'm not aware of yet. But I think everyone in this kind of industry, and you'll know as a personal trainer as well, like people talk, like you have good experiences, you have bad experiences. Like word of mouth is the most powerful way, I think, to be successful and build a name for yourself. So it's just, just kind of through those, those situations. Like I've been to see people that I trust. I've got a relatively good network of people that work in, in high-level performance sports as well, but I'm more than happy and comfortable to put my name out and say, I think this person would be worth your time. And I think you just kind of build it through, through that way. So it's all, it's all referral, word of mouth, and just having that trust in other people that you've seen them be successful and you know they have the credentials. Because when I did send Tal on, like, I kind of put myself on the line there and be like, this person can help. Um, and you don't really want your name to, or your word to, to kind of lose any weight. So you kind of have to watch who you do use it with. Like, you can't be sending them to everyone. But yeah, I think it's just being around. You, you kind of build a good a good idea of who's where and, and who's who's good at what. When you are a personal trainer, um, it can be a case of you get your qualification uh, and then that's it. You never need to go on to another course. Is it like that with um, sports therapy or do you need to be constantly educating yourself to stay registered or to stay legal as a practicing um, therapist? Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to go for like a certain amount of it's CPD. I always say it wrong because of the other thing. It sounds the same. But yeah, like continued professional development is like something that you, you have to do in terms of your status as a therapist. Like you have to do a certain amount of things every year to make sure that you're improving and keeping current. Like the information that I was given, what, eight, eight to ten years ago now could be outdated. Like it's not just that's the that's all the information you'll ever need and I think that was something that, that interested me when I started was this is not something I'm just going to take certain bits of information from 
and then that's going to be me like it's going to need me to continue to learn and find new ways and you'll find something one day that one year that has been heavily touted as the next thing and then two years later it's not a thing anymore in terms of different treatment modalities and stuff so you, you have to keep learning you have to keep pushing and I think that's what keeps keeps it honest because I imagine there in, as in anything there are probably people out there that like the old ways and do things in certain ways but the main thing we're looking to do as, as therapists is give the best treatment in the best way to the people that come and see us have you got any courses um, or educational stuff that you're doing um, that you're excited about um, over the next few months? Oh, you're setting that one up because you knew what I was doing. Yeah, I'm doing a, uh, <laughs> I'm doing a, an ultrasound and shockwave therapy course at the minute, mainly because I, I have to do something with my spare time. Not that I have much of it. <laughs> and it gives, it just gives me another, another potential modality that I can help people with. There was, there's a chance that it, 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 I may have sat there and gone through the course and been like, oh, I think this is completely useless. But that wasn't the case. And for me, I'm just trying to look for the best ways to treat people. And yeah, I think the more different variations I have and more strings to my bow, the better my like, overall treatment and client satisfaction will be. And when people have been through their therapy sessions, maybe they've come for the first time, uh, maybe they're coming in every week. How do you want someone to feel at the end of their session? In fact, let's let's strip that back a little bit further. Let's go with someone that's coming in for that first session. They're really nervous. They don't know what therapy is. How do you want them to feel? And how do they tend to feel at the end of your sessions? I think initially, I, I just want them to feel relaxed. Like for anyone that's met me, like I think I'm a relatively approachable person. But you're the people that come and see me. You're completely trusting in me as a person. Like you're like to, to come and see me in the first place. You kind of have to give that little bit of trust before you've met me anyway. But for me, it's it's just making them feel a hundred percent comfortable because. I'd like to have like an open dialogue and I'd like them to feel comfortable enough to just chat to me normally, like tell me about the stuff that's going on with their injury and, and, and the reason they've come to see me. We'll have to go through like a brief history of, of issues and kind of make sure that I have all the information I need. But then after that, like I want them to be able to tell me about their day and like have that little bit of dialogue so that they, they, can, they can relax properly. Like, especially if I'm doing something that relies on them physically relaxing so I can either treat or test something, I need them to feel comfortable enough with me that they can relax their leg and not say it's relaxed. And then when I let go of it, it's stay in the air. So for me, it's just, I, I want them to feel comfortable and relaxed to the point where we can have a laugh and a joke and they can just feel like they're talking to a friend whilst also getting the level of treatment that they deserve you know what that's something that i say to my clients is it's going to take me somewhere between like three and six months of seeing you train before i not fully know but know a lot about you before i'm stopping making like mistakes with your programming i'm going to know how to program you in three to six months time so do you do you often find that it will take you numerous sessions before you can 
fully allow people to relax, to fully like let certain tissues ease off and things like that. And for you to, to know that person, it must be very, very difficult to be able to, or to be expected to know someone's body just instantly in a session. Yeah, I think it is difficult because obviously everyone's completely different. But as far as it's gone for the last however many years, I think it's it's been quite successful in terms of people do tend to relax quite quickly. I don't mind talking to people and just having open dialogue and just to chat about life. And I think that goes a long way in terms of just letting people forget that this is not an interrogation. Like you can't be wrong in what you say. You don't have to apologize if you don't know the answer to my question. You don't have to apologize and, and think that you're not giving enough feedback when I'm asking you questions. Like this is just me trying to help you. Like I'll find different ways of, of doing it. Whether I start asking you about what you're doing for your next holiday and then the next second I see that actually now you're relaxed and now I can see how your hips sit or, or, or stuff like that and then just checking back with people and being like oh if you just look at that you can you can see the difference now and then they understand why they need to relax but yeah like it, it sometimes it takes a lot of time just to just to get an idea of, of where someone's at but it's increasingly easier the more like the wider variety of people you see like if I just saw 24 year old bodybuilders all the time then if a 36 year old woman came in it'd probably be a very different experience but because I see quite a wide variety I seem to be quite good at reading people and finding the right ways like if if a 45 year old woman comes in I'm not going to ask her how she thought Love Island was this weekend because <laughs> she probably doesn't watch it <laughs> so it's just kind of having an, a relative level of people skill of, of, of being able to kind of just chat to people and I think that kind of friendly nature just helps the overall experience anyway because then in a week's time when they realize that oh my hip actually hurts when I do this one thing they know they can just drop me a text message and just be like it hurts when I do this and the next time they come in I can be like oh so we didn't realize when this happened and just them feeling comfortable enough to be able to just do that without overthinking the fact that they're messaging me on like a Sunday evening yeah yeah um and again it's just all about building that trust and if that trust is fostered through the good experiences that you're talking about I think often being pain-free is almost inevitable I want to finish by um asking you how resilient is a human body it's pretty resilient you know like there's a lot of incredible things that people do with the human body and that's and and how far the body can like go in terms of how much you can push it um but there is a stage that it reaches where pushing it more can be a, a detriment and i think that's that's the difference between finding finding that sweet spot of this is this is how incredible the human body is amazing things it can do but when you're asking a lot of the human body you also have to take into account that you probably need to do a little bit more to help it out as well but yeah i mean the more you look into it the human body is absolutely incredible how it completely like how you can come in to see me and have a shoulder issue where your shoulder might be visually a little bit shrugged up on the right hand side and then it turns out that it's actually because your left hip's hurting 
and you didn't realize and things like that it's just it's incredible it's resilient and that's its way of trying to like work itself out but it's baffling how sometimes the body tries to fix itself and that's that's the most exciting part of my job like there's a couple of clients I have that have come in and told me their issues and talked through stuff and I'm like you're incredible because you're so like your problem is so unique that it excites me to the point where like I'm, I'm excited to work with you and see where we can go with this and yeah stuff like that is what will wake me up at like six in the morning and I'll be like oh, I need to make sure I look into this because <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that I need to push myself on because it interests me and yeah stuff like that is is, is kind of what keeps me going I think yeah I think um the passion that you exuded in that um answer was very clear to see and again one of the reasons that I was desperate for you to work for me and I'm a very lucky coach indeed so for anyone that wants to get involved with your sports therapy they can either message you through uh, 55 therapy hmsc I think I've got that one correct um via instagram i believe that is where you are the most active currently at least um, in terms of your messaging not many posts just yet but we will definitely get there or you can message me directly through the heavy metal strength coach on instagram as well or chris kershaw on facebook and i can send you all his clinic hours and things like that and um, the plan is for us to provide a lot of educational material going forward. So there's going to be some podcasts, there's going to be some Instagram posts, and um, we'll see what else we're going to do from there. But I am super excited for the future. So, Connor, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I've absolutely loved this discussion. Uh, and I will see you in the gym soon, my friend. <laughs>